Oh, you guys don't want to clap yet until I'm done, right? Because <laughs> if you clap too early, then I'm going to go longer. Um, no, thank you. Uh, it's honestly my privilege to be here. I was excited to be with this community. I, we did a Good Friday service uh, or, or gathering together, and it was such a beautiful time, I thought. And there's another community that was with us uh, as well, Awake Vancouver. And I think we're doing a, um, a barbecue, a joint thing together. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that as well. And um, yeah, so I, I have a little bit of history with this church because I've been here before. Um, I came, oh, yeah, a long time ago, 2019, even, yeah, maybe, okay, something like that. And uh, it took them a while to ask me to come back, so I'm a little bit, you know, <laughs> the stuff here that I was dealing with during worship, I was like, it's okay, Lord. No, I'm just joking, but uh, no, it's really good to be here. I want to preach from uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 3 to 9, and we're going to read through that text real quick in a second, but um, before we do that, um, let's just, uh, I want you guys to do something with me, and we're just going to take a moment to breathe a little bit. And um, I, the, the Spirit of God is present, obviously. He's here with us. A lot of times, though, our awareness of, his, awareness of his presence is not so good, though. Like, we, we can sing songs to him and shout and declare to him, but sometimes we don't realize he's actually really moving among us right now, right? So I want to take a moment just to breathe, slow down, and um, maybe I'm talking to myself. I don't know that I need to breathe and slow down. But let's just be aware. And so I'm going to ask you guys just to... Maybe close your eyes because it might help you just to kind of stay centered. And um, Holy Spirit, we, we breathe you in in this moment. We ask for a greater revelation of your beauty. Would you um, help us to be reverent before you and in awe um, and just enamored with who you are in this moment? Holy Spirit, we breathe you in. <clears throat> we breathe you in. You're so beautiful, God. You're so worthy. <sighs> amen, amen. God, you're so good. Let's go to Mark chapter 14. <clears throat> I'm going to read for you guys a passage that has been really strong on my heart probably in the past year and a half or so. Uh, it's, it's something, it's, it's been a section of scripture that's always spoken to me, obviously, in my life. But I think there's something that's happening in our city or among our churches that the Spirit of God is doing commonly or wanting to do commonly within our communities. In Mark chapter 14, I'm going to start from verse 3 and go to verse 9. <clears throat> this cup holder is incredible, by the way. This good idea. <laughs> I, was like, I feel like a, it's like a stroller of a... Uh, <clears throat> while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment and pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And, and uh, there were some who had said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could, could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you, can, but, but you will not always have me. 
She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. There's a powerful moment in scripture here that's captured now for the rest of history. Her account, her testimony, this experience is not something that was just a good moment, but it wasn't sufficient enough for scripture. But we see this in scripture as remembered for all of us in humanity to remember this account of this interaction with this woman in Jesus Christ. It kind of reminds me of a moment where um, I used to go down to a conference down in California uh, a while back. And there was a lady that I, when I was younger, used to revere and respect. Her name was Heidi Baker. I don't know if you guys know her or not. And maybe that's not the circles in which you dwell. Regardless of what denominational or circle that you dwell in, I really revered the way that she lived her life. Well, I was so excited to see her speak, right? And we, this, the auditorium is full. And we're like, yes, Heidi is speaking. I, I'm so excited. And she gets up there and she just kind of kneels down. And then she just keeps worshiping. And so at one moment, you're like, oh, that's so beautiful. And then you're kind of going, you know, I think five minutes passes. Goes to 10 minutes and you're like, um, okay, what, what, what's happening? Now it's a spectacle. And we, we get up off our chairs and we're like, what is she doing? And she lays down flat on the floor and her eyes are to the ground and she's just worshiping God and she's singing and, and then we're invited into that space and we kind of start worshiping and at some point something happens within me and I start to go, this is not what I paid for. <laughs> this is actually not what I paid for. We had the worship already. Like, I want to hear you speak, Heidi. You don't understand how much I re respect you. Like, I want to hear what's going to come out of your mouth. And then as I'm feeling that, she turns around and she's singing to the back of the stage. So she can't look at us because I'm sure she, everyone was like, what is she doing? And there's a moment, I think one time, and she did, she did this most of the time she went up to speak. So we're kind of like, we can come late for this part, right? Um, <laughs> we'll just, we'll go and like hang out in the foyer. And when she's done all that stuff, we'll come in and hear her talk. And she just kept worshiping. But something about that moment felt like a pure invitation. If not to worship our God, at least to be aware of him. And there's something that was so profound of that moment that left me a little shook. I was a little bit like, what is this doing to my mind and my body right now? What am I feeling in my body? A little bit of anxiety, a little bit of uh, restlessness. And realizing in the very moment that what the Spirit of God was trying to do was captivate my wonder. Not just captivate my mind, captivate my wonder. We live in a culture where value is attached to ROI, return on investments. Our relationships have been commodified. They're transactional. In fact, we bring that cultural narrative that's within us into this space. And we say, well, if John doesn't preach a good sermon today, or if the worship team's a little bit off today, then Sunday was just okay. When people ask you, like, how was church? What are they really asking? They're asking, how was the worship and how was the sermon? We've commodified our interaction with each other, with community, and ultimately with God. 
So when we think about value then, the language of value has taken another definition, another meaning. It's taken on this idea of what have you done for me lately? That's why there is a strong, a subtle movement of people saying they're shifting away from these kind of communal spaces because they are asking the ROI question. What have you done for me lately? Where's the return on investment? I, you know, like, oh, that, oh, he's really nice. You know, if it's not the sermon, you're like, oh, the pastor's so kind. Um, people are just so nice there. When, when people join our community, we tell people, like a lot of people get excited that for the first few Sundays because they encounter God's spirit. Like we, we know they're going to encounter God. If it's not just an experience, we just know biblically that is true. God is present. Amen? It doesn't have to be like, oh, it's like God is present. That's what I believe. That's, that's all I know, that he's present. So either you're aware of his presence or you're not. And so they come and they're like, this is crazy. I, I've never experienced before. Da, da, da. Like we just had this experience a couple Sundays ago. And it was just really interesting to hear their conversation. And then some of them are like, I love to join the worship team. Because the only places to serve are the worship team and kids ministry. And they don't want to run with kids. They'll be r- rather up here trying to learn how to sing. You know? <laughs> right? We've had those people. Oh, man, that's where I need to be. You're like, hmm. We have a prayer ministry. You want to pray through that a little bit? There's like, you know, whatever. And we've had people right there up here. You're like, man, God loves you so much. I don't know if I love you right now so much, but God loves you so much. Anyways, um, and we tell people, listen, if you're going to journey with the community, that we totally, you're invited. But just take a year with us. And with a year, don't serve. Don't do anything that will pull, give you a platform. Just be here and receive. And then watch our community experience and encounter community through every season. Right? Because summertime is a comfortable, fall's coming around, winter, everything sucks in Vancouver because it's gloomy. And you're like, oh, life sucks. And it's just because it's raining, right? And then there's like spring, and then we want people to journey through every season with the community, see your community through ups and downs and say, have they been consistent, constant? Are they still seeking God through the seasons? And then we ask them if they'd like to covenant. So it's a little bit different way that we do membership in our church. It's because we're addressing this idea and this cultural narrative of commodification. You know, pitting our church against Five Stone Church, against another church. Like, you know, oh, they do things this way, so I want to, you know what I'm trying to say? So we try, we're trying to address this narrative. It slows the process down, very much so. And our children's pastor's like, we need volunteers. And we're like, I know. Just give us a year. Uh, we shortened the process to six months because we realized that people are coming from other church spaces and whatever. And we want them to process their stuff and learn how to be his beloved before their life is marked. Um, their faithfulness to God is marked by their effectiveness for God. So we're addressing this idol of effectiveness. And so we love to just camp and be with God in his presence. And when people come, they're like a little bit of a rush. Like one, one woman said to us, you sang five songs today. And I'm trying to read everything about her. And I still don't know what she meant by that. Like good or bad, five good songs, five bad. I don't know. But she goes, you know, this week you sang five. I think her point was it was one too much for her. Now, I know that worship isn't just singing. I totally get that. But there are moments when we gather together where God is just meant to be beheld or beholden or whatever that be. We just meant to behold God. 
God, the creator of the universe, even in the beginning of time when he created everything, the, the garden, it says he created things to bear fruit, etc., and then ones to just be looked at. It's like, what? That is ineffective and efficient. Like, how is that going to help Adam and Eve? Like, look where we are now. But the, the reality is God sometimes is so impractical. And maybe often we can become more like God when we are impractical. So we live in this makeup of, is that practical? Is that efficient? Is that effective? I know that's language that comes up in leadership. In fact, when I teach at the college, um, I teach a, a class called, it used to be called Church Growth Strategies. I don't like that name. So we've changed it recently to Applied Ecclesiology. And what's interesting is, and, and, then, and then people are like, what does that mean? I'm like, it's church growth strategies. Oh, so I'm still saying church growth strategies, but you know, anyways. So I was like, apply to ecclesiology. So kids are like, I don't want to register for that. Church growth strategies. Oh, okay, maybe. Um, but when they come into that space and learn about how to be a leader in the church, how to plant churches, et cetera, et cetera, it's all about effectiveness, efficiency. So this language where I don't see it in the pastoral uh, description. And so we're equipping pastors to be, become better leaders and not really better pastors. We're not helping them to know how to nurture and care for communities. We're teaching them how to lead a vision and a mission. And I am a leader. I understand that. And I, my wife, who's a counselor also, she pulls me down into spaces where I'm not rushing ahead of maybe what God is already doing, where it's not like about efficiency and effectiveness, but it's really about what God is doing in this very uh, poetic, beautiful moment. Sometimes I find these spaces to be wasteful spaces, wasteful times, wasteful moments. And yet, when you're in the presence of God, it is never a waste of time. It's never a waste of time. We come to this story where this lady, who's known as Mary, reclines at the table before Jesus and decides to take this alabaster jar uh, and pours ointment and nard all over Jesus. What's interesting about this interaction, though, is that those who witness this interaction start to say, well, that was ineffective. That was inefficient. That was not practical. Not only that, she takes the, 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 the jar and she, the jar itself is already of value, cracks the jar and pours it on you. Not, not a sprinkle on his feet, not around him, not saying, you know, I, you know, like this should be enough. Like God knows my heart. You know, how many times do you do that, right? God, you know my heart. So 2% offering is, you know my heart, God. And we, we uh, literally abuse the grace of God. As a God would be, um, you know, as if God would be like impressed by your percentage. And what I love about, and this can be debatable, I don't, I'm not here to debate this, but what, about, what I love about the New Testament church and because of Christ and his kingdom, this language around tithe is actually not in the New Testament. It's about generosity. I mean, we practice tithe now because it's, it's actually effective and efficient for us to get that 10%. And we want you to have the pre-authorized giving because it shows us how much we can budget for it. I'm not saying those things are bad. But I wonder if we've lost the wonder of generosity to effectiveness and efficiency. 
You see, I think what the lady is doing is actually the most appropriate thing. It's illogical, it's irrational, it's ineffective, it's inefficient, it's impractical, but it's the most appropriate. Wouldn't you say? We say this in a community all the time, right? We, we bring this up to people saying, uh, one, our worship team, we just did a, a trading seminar and they asked me to come and do a talk and, and I said, the best worshipers are the ones who know that they've been forgiven much. Forgiven little loves little, forgiven much loves much. Those of us who come into these spaces to worship and our, our, our posture is we need Liz and the team to kill it first. The first two songs, they warm us up and then we get to the... Right? And then the altar, you know, and we have this kind of gear up, this wind up for the presence of God. But if you don't understand that you're already walking in his presence from Monday to Saturday and you're worshiping Monday to Saturday, then Sunday is going to be hard for you to worship. So I tell our worship team, why is it hard for people to worship on Sunday? It's because they're not worshiping Monday to Saturday. And it's not to be condemning. I'm just saying we're not aware of his presence. This life, this, this experience that this woman is showing to us here is that she's living in that posture of gratitude before God so that when she sees Jesus and knows that he's the Messiah, she'll come and do what is appropriate to do. It's a posture. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's a mindset. It's an awareness of his presence. I was uh, invited to be on a panel um, during COVID and it was supposed to be on racism and which it wasn't at all. And uh, he wanted me uh, um, to come and share about my Asian Canadian experience, Korean Canadian experience, yada, yada, yada. Anyways, he, it, was, it was not that at all. So I was quite disappointed of how it turned out the panel. But on the panel, I was surprised by another special guest who's uh, invited. And this person and I have a very different perspective on, on how we do church and how we view church. Um, and, um, and so there's a lot of hype and energy, you know, the lights and everything. I came by myself. This other pastor came with an entourage of people. And look, I'm not trying to put, I'm not even going to give you the name. So, but, but anyways, I'm just showing you the, the dichotomy a little bit, the, the, the binary that was created naturally. And I was there and, and my friend who's hosting said, man, we are so excited to have pastor Teddy and pastor so-and-so here, man, cause they love worship. And everyone's like, yeah. And I'm like such, I don't know why I do this, but I was like, uh, actually, um, I love God. And then I was like, oh, and he's like, what do you want me to do with that? Like, I'm trying to hype this moment up. And my point was very clear. I don't love worship. I love God. That's why I worship. If I love worship, then Tiff, uh, Liz, you better bring it. You better pick the song that's trending right now that I just heard on the radio on the, to get ready for worship. You know how we worship to get ready for worship? <laughs> and, and, and we get things mixed up because, again, we've commodified this as a product. We commodify God as a product. I don't love worship. I love God. And there truly is a difference because true worship is never a transaction. It's not, I give you this God and you give. Obviously, what does God give to us when we get, encounter him? More of him. What more do you want than more of him? His presence is everything. So we know that we're going to encounter his presence. But we don't come in with a perspective of saying, Lord, I come in with anxiety and I know you're going to give me peace. Because even more than peace, I just want him. 
I can have him even in the midst of my anxiety. Why does Psalm, the Psalm say, the psalmist say that he will even meet you in Sheol? He doesn't even say he's going to take you out for a minute necessarily, but he'll meet you there. One of the Psalms, that, my wife and I also teach another class called pastoral counseling. In that class, we talk about, uh, my wife brings a, a clinical perspective. I bring the pastoral perspective. But we sit in this one Psalm together, in the Psalm 88. That's the only Psalm in all the Psalms that, that doesn't have a, you've turned my morning into dancing. You know how we read the Psalms and you're like, oh my gosh, by the end of it, they're like dancing. And then we preach like, what's wrong with you? Right? Verse 1, grieving, life sucks, you've forsaken me, God. Verse 12, you're the best. Right? And we read the Psalms like it was just written in that moment when it could have taken that psalmist maybe a lifetime to write that one psalm. Where he was living in mourning for a long time. And there is dancing, but it's not at a snap of a finger. So when you commodify just in a moment experience with God, then you expect it to be like done and yay. No, God is saying, I'm not afraid of any space you're in. And regardless of what space you find yourself in, mountain highs, valley lows, could you still worship? If, if all you need to know is that I'm beautiful and worthy of it. We have diminished God. In our Sundays, we have diminished God because we've bought into this commodified perspective of church and, and spirituality and religion. This woman, when she comes and, and pours the perfume over Jesus, which is 300 denarii, one year's worth of salary, right? Just pours it on Jesus. She does it as an act of worship and surrender to Jesus. It's her response. But what we do when we demean her, when we look down on what she, she does, we do two things. We diminish her act of worship to God, and then we also diminish Jesus. You're saying he, Jesus is not worthy of that. Oh, like, why would you do that? Like, and by, by not saying it, but implicitly you're saying, well, you're saying he doesn't deserve that. So it's really subtle and really sneaky. For me, I love art. I love art. I love, you know, anything arts related. Uh, and when I say I love art, doesn't mean I'm an, uh, um, an artist per se. Like, you know, when we think of artists, we think they're just born artists and they're like, wow, they're so mystical. Art is actually pr pretty systematic. It takes a lot of work, training, all that stuff too. I understand that, right? But there's something about art that I love and something about I don't love. Something about art that I don't love. I realized that I start to grow this kind of like, and, and by the way, I'm not saying this to be mean. I'm just saying I started to grow a little bit of a disdain towards Christian movies and art form. Um, and I know a lot of you guys would resonate with that. Um, and not just because it's, we think it's poor quality, poor acting, but because when I look at the art form of me movies, when I look at Christian movies, it has a really specific purpose, Right? And it's to take you to the answer that Jesus is a savior. Will you, after this movie, come to the altar and accept Jesus? Right? And things get nicely tied up at the end. You're like, I want my life to be like that. Right? It's that kind of feeling. Well, here's the thing about art. Art is meant to be just a gift, not a tool. But when we use art as a tool, then we lose the art. 
heart is meant to be behold, beheld in. What is the word for it? Because I'm going to keep saying it. What's the? Beheld. Yes, I knew that. <laughs> I was just making sure that you knew that, Paul. But, but it's meant to be beheld. Why, did, why was that so hard for me? I don't understand. Um, and, and sometimes art is just meant to be beheld and just uh, your bodies, your mind, you're, you're, you're able to connect with what's being presented without this tool of getting you to making you feel better, but just encountering what the artist might be communicating through the art. God, in the same way, when we come and we gather to worship, or when you wake up every morning to live a life surrendered in worship, he says, God is meant to be beheld. Not just, God, what are you going to do for me today? But Lord, will I be postured to worship you today? Will my life be lived out, poured out to you today, surrendered to you today? Andy Crouch, who's a a, a commentator on culture, theologian, um, former pastor, he said, if we have a utilitarian attitude toward art, if we require it to justify itself in terms of its usefulness to our, to our ends, it is very likely that we will end up with the same attitude toward worship and ultimately toward God. Sky Jatani, who, also, who uh, was a former editor of Christianity Today, also wrote, to combat the utilitarianism of our culture and to foster a right worship of God, perhaps the church needs to learn to be more wasteful rather than less. Maybe there's a time for the voices of practicality to remain silent as the artists prophetically call us back to extravagant worship, to behold God rather than to use him. Rather than to use him. In verse 3, we find that she breaks and she pours this oil on Jesus' head, not on his feet. She wasn't even thinking like, what is Jesus going to look like after this? Like, you know, like he's just there to enjoy a meal, be in good company. There's oil. All, it's not water. Like, dry it off. You need, you're going to need soap to get that. Like, oh, it's like, he's like, thank you. Thank you for worshiping me, for embracing this moment. And Jesus is covered in oil. Like, it looks redonkulous. It's not effective. How is he going to clean up? He didn't bring a change of clothes. But I think Christ understood the moment. And he said, no, 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 no. Let her do to me what is appropriate. I don't think Christ is in as big of a rush as we think that he is. But we are. So she breaks it. It's a finality moment. It's a moment saying, I'm not getting this back. Can you imagine? Break it. No, no, because I can scoop it back. Once Christ leaves, I'm going to scoop some of this back into my... It's final. Break, pour, done. You're not getting it back. Right? I, and I'm, it's funny I mentioned that, but I've had people who are like, hey, I'd like to give you know, X amount of money to the church. And I hear later on, because I know that God has a greater return for me in the future. And obviously we know God rewards. But that moment felt like to me, like you're scooping things back. You're trying to get back your offering of worship. And we do live that way. How do I know this? We've had people in our community who've been extremely burnt out. We've, we've, oh, we're 13 years as a church. We're a little bit younger than you guys, I think. How old are you guys, 15-ish? 
20? Yeah. Um, and I, rem- I yeah, it, it's been quite the journey. Not easy planning a church and doing, you know, that. We've been through revival moments and miracles and one, like just incredible things that we've witnessed to now just extreme burnout. One of the things that I think we've learned is not that those things that happened in the past were fake or fraud, like the miracles and all that. It, those weren't fraud. But how we interacted with the God of miracles was sometimes suspect. And it just shows our humanity, our brokenness. Even those who wandered with Jesus, walked with Jesus, were like, that lady's doing something ineffective. Even them who are with Jesus were still questioning the one giving everything up for him. So in some way, that affected us. And so, uh, let me skip ahead to this. There are some who will say, I have poured my whole life out for Jesus. I've done this all for you. But I no longer love doing it. I'm burnt out from it. Does that resonate with you? I've lo- I live this Christian life. I've lived it all for Jesus. I've done it all for him, but where is a return? It's kind of like the older son in the prodigal son story. I've, I've been doing, like, I don't understand. The one who wastes it all and comes back, gets a party, where's mine? Or maybe some of us, we've poured out our lives and you've lived a life of surrender and it was beautiful in a season and in a moment, but now it's just become habitual. It's become redundant. It's become um, mundane and just ritualistic. And maybe we need to reassess why we're in that space. You see, I think this life that's poured out is it's, an everyday thing and not just at a revival meeting thing. It's not just at a retreat thing. It's not even just on a Sunday thing. It's a posture every moment when you awake and you say, your mercies are new every morning. They're new every morning. And thus, God, you are worthy of our worship. Can you imagine and visualize in your mind for a moment this woman coming in and cracking and pouring this over Jesus and the gasping that happens in the air. The, the, the disruption that happens even within their own bodies and their minds and their own perspective of the Messiah that's before them, the Lord. There's a disruption that needs to happen because what this woman is saying in Mark 14 in the story is, this is a new vision of the way you're meant to live your life. This is why the sinners... The prostitutes, the misfits, the outcasts resonate with Jesus. Because they knew that they amounted up to nothing in society, but in the light of Jesus, he gave them value. So they said, he's worthy. They were beckoned by his kindness and his love in responding to that. Those who grew up religiously have a harder time because we actually think we deserve it. This is one of the things I've been learning in church in pastoring for 26 years now is how many of us, including myself, actually think that we deserve the gospel. It's weird. It comes up in subtle ways. When we're having like pity parties and stuff like that, we're pouting. Like, oh, I actually think that I deserve this. Like, I actually think that I earned his love and his grace. Holy, this is weird. This is messed up. And so it shows up in my worship. Shows up in my worship. When I went to Kenya and Haiti to do some... um, 
just ministry out there. One of the things I loved was I remember we were in uh, Kenya in a village, and they were expecting for us to come, but they already began their worship, meaning they, the worship didn't start when the pastor came. The worship was already happening, and I got to participate in it, and you're like, whoa, let's go. And you're like singing, you're worshiping, you're dancing, right? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And we're just going. And I'm like, is there a verse two? And the verse two is hallelujah, hallelujah, right? And then it's like, where's the chorus? Hallelujah, hallelujah. And we just kept going and kept going, kept going. They were aware of a God that was present before even I got there. And I was like, oh, okay, this is a moment. And we just worshiped and worshiped and worshiped and worshiped. And what I loved about that was there was no tight team. They didn't practice the stuff. They just practiced worship onto God every day of their life. So when they gathered, like, oh, you're a worshiper? Oh, you're a worshiper? Then we let the Spirit of God worship and lead us. I'm sorry, we let the Spirit of God lead us in worship. And that's what happens. I was telling Liz, actually, I said, I hope this is okay that I mentioned this, Liz, but I'm going to anyways. Um, <laughs> Liz is up here leading worship, and I, I told her, I said, Liz, when you're up here, you just carry just an authority, a presence, you lead. But what I loved about your leading is you took a backseat to how you led. She wasn't the dominant one. Let's go. Like she just like just singing the song. The spirit of God was just leading and leading and leading. And there's an invitation for us every day to respond in that kind of way. That kind of way. Every small act that you do when you wake up is still an act of worship. It's a life poured out. Every decision of intention is a life poured out. No one needs to see this lavish expression, but your life will be that lavish expression where someone will look at your life and say, dad or mom lived it or so-and-so lived it. You see, one of the things I deeply believe about how we parent our kids, we don't pull them away from spaces that are dark and dangerous. We put them in those spaces or let them exist in those spaces, but help them to live a life lavishly surrendered to God in those spaces. And that's light and darkness. And, and so I want them to see that in me, that my leadership, my life devoted to Jesus is caught more than it's taught. And they, they can see that I can worship even through grief and loss and mourning and suffering and pain. I can stop playing the card of a victim and saying everyone's against me and therefore I don't even know God exists anymore. God exists. That's not going to change. How will I respond? He doesn't bow to his knee to me. I bow my knee to him. How will I respond? He is truly of worth. Let me end with this one quote by a man named Dallas Willard. And uh, I, I think this is a powerful thing that I've been, I just, I, yeah, I just really love the, way, love the way that he communicates it. He said, this must precede our endeavors to build a city on a hill that has the potential to bless or illumine our world. As we have discussed, this is a primary role of professional ministers. The responsibility is not to build grand worship centers, raise money, or devise programs that will attract consumers of religious products and services. As good as all these things can be, the primary and essential task of ministers is to teach, preach, and manifest in their own lives, the ministry, the power, and truth available for all of life and living within the knowledge of God. My life 
your life, and this is not just for ministers, but we're all priesthood. Your life needs to manifest that you love God. Your life needs to manifest that it's been poured out as an offering onto God every day and in every space you go. And I think then the kingdom of God will extend into the furthest places of Vancouver. We don't just need more people gathered in our church spaces. We need more kingdom people unleashed into those realms and and spaces in our neighborhood and manifesting their poured out life of Jesus there. And I think then we can see kingdom, the kingdom of God show up. Amen? Uh, I want to end with a song. And, and all I want you guys to do is just, you can sit, stand, kneel, whatever you guys feel more comfortable doing. But there's a song. You can come up if you want, Liz. And, um, and I just want us to sing this. Almost, uh, not just as an act of worship, but almost to kind of recenter us as we leave this space. Um, we're thinking about how worthy he is. So let's, if you guys would just join me, just closing your eyes with me, please. And just imagine your life as if you were the woman before Jesus choosing. Actually, let's even go before that moment where you're deciding if you should break this jar and pour it on Jesus. Maybe you're looking around your house and going, do I have anything to give and offer to to the Lord? And you're kind of searching and you're struggling and, and then you find the jar and you're like, wait, this is one year's worth of wages. There's that moment before that moment, right? And maybe there are things that you know for sure. You're like, man, I know that I need to surrender this part of my life, this part of my mind, this part of my pain, this part of my story, and I want to live surrendered. Just take a moment and and then visualize yourself approaching the house where Jesus is at. And you're about to pour out because you're li- when you see him, you're filled with love. You're filled with wonder. Not just obligation, but you want to do this. surrender to you every day every moment God search our hearts oh God search our hearts if we've committed this act of surrender to you before but now Lord we we feel burnt out God would you do a healing work in us bring us back to a place of wonder where we see your worth again And we recognize, God, that you truly are worthy of it all. Would you heal our hearts 
and bring us back to that space again of surrender. And for those of us, oh God, where it's just become ritual, it's become so just routine, where we've lost the sense of imagination and wonder, would you do a profound healing work in our minds today? That you would unleash imagination, creativity, wonder, and fervor, so that we reconnect with you with freshness and experience your goodness and your love again. May our lives be compelled by the love you have for us, God. To the mighty work, oh God, in this community. Regardless of our differences and our different opinions and different perspectives, may we have a common perspective. And that is, God, that you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of worship. Worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve the praise. Worthy is your name. We're going to go to a different key, actually. Right. I'm sorry. Actually, Liz, let's do this. Let's just sing it without the guitar. Okay, great. Yeah. Worthy is your name. Jesus, you deserve the praise. Worthy is your name. Worthy is your name. Actually, can we take the lyrics down too, please? I just want us to sit in the moment. You know the lyrics. Just worship. Acknowledge his presence. Worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve the praise. Worthy is your name. Worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve the praise. Sing one more time. Yes, God, we're humble in your presence. Worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve, you deserve the praise. Worthy is your name. Worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve the praise. Worthy is Jesus, you are worthy, worthy, worthy. You are worthy of it all. Yes. We exalt you, Lord. We exalt you today. And every day of our lives, God, a life surrendered to you. And it might look ridiculous to people. It might look ineffective, inefficient, impractical. But a life poured out to you is only appropriate, oh God. It's only appropriate. We exalt you, O oh God. Yes. The God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.